Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. This morning we're in Revelation chapter 2. We're finishing up uh, chapter 2, the fourth letter to the churches that Jesus sent. We're going to look at that this morning, the church of Thyatira. The church of Thyatira. You say that, say that ten times. No, really, say it ten times. No, don't do that. The church of Thyatira. Jesus is the head of his church. He's the risen Savior. Uh, he's the sovereign judge. And he alone is the one who can inspect his church, give a proper assessment. Uh, and like human nature, you and I look on the outside. We see a person. We see perhaps even a church as we look and read about these churches here that we see in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and we only see the outside, but Jesus sees the heart. Almost like an x-ray into the health, the spiritual health and condition of the church. Last week we looked at the church of Pergamum. We looked at how they were labeled the compromising church. Well, this week we're talking about the tolerant church. And so if you're there with me, Revelation 2 verse 18 and following. And Jesus says, and to the angel of the church, church of Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, and I will throw into the great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. So far, not a great uh, letter, right? <clears throat> and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So like every letter, there's certainly a lot of imagery that is given out. They all begin with uh, this, you know, kind of description of Jesus that we find in chapter 1. And, and every time we see a description of him, it usually corresponds or always corresponds with the nature of the letter and what he's dealing with, the, with that church. This is called the tolerant church. Tolerance, by the way, is a virtue that should be developed in all of our lives, right, and cultivated and something that we should have and yet there's a level of tolerance that would happen in our lives, or in this particular, this particular church, where things needed to be confronted, not only in our life personally, but in that church and in churches in today's world. Thyatira was a city known for the trade industry of cloth and dye. 
We read about the woman Lydia in Acts chapter 16. It was Paul who went there to go preach the gospel. And on one particular day, he went out by the river and began to pray. And there was a group of ladies that were there. And Paul began to share with them the gospel. And God opened up Lydia, who was a seller of purple, a wealthy businesswoman who happened now to, to reside in Philippi. And God opened her heart to believe the gospel. She and her household were baptized and, and became believers. And, and, and she became, you know, the sort of uh, beginning support system for Paul when he was there in, in the, the city of Philippi. There's a lot of people that believe that she was the one responsible, going back to her home city of Thyatira, to share the gospel and establish a church. And isn't it amazing how God uses this woman who, who is this business lady who is in Philippi to go back to her hometown, proclaim the gospel, a church gets began there, but now we have a woman named Jezebel, or this sort of, you know, kind of given name by Jesus in this letter, who now is being used by Satan to bring destruction to that same congregation. As Jesus enters, begins this letter, he says that he is the one who uh, is the Son of God. It's the only letter where he identifies his deity, the fact that he has authority, and he has these eyes of flames of fire where he sees all things that are unseen, and the feet of burnished bronze. Every time we read about bronze in the Old Testament, uh, it usually refers to uh, judgment. So if the, the whole story of the snake, you know, the, uh, the children of Israel were, you know, disobedient once again, like all of we are, you know, all, all of we are. I don't know about that. I'll have to check my English teacher wife after the service is over. And uh, they sinned against God, and God sent judgment, and these snakes were cruising through the, you know, the area. People were getting bit, and they were dying. And so they were crying out, like, Lord, you know, Moses, is all these snakes, they're biting everybody, you know. Talk about like a nightmare, right? Any snake lovers here today? Do we have anybody? Does anyone own a pet snake? I had a pet snake as a kid. It got lost, and we still haven't found it. <laughs> it's probably like, like 30 feet long in my, my mom's house somewhere. Anyways, it's actually still at my mom's house. I failed to tell my wife now of 27 years that we had a pet snake there. Anyways, sorry for the diversion. So Moses, uh, uh, from God's uh, you know, instruction, he, he, he built this big brazen you know, bronze snake, which means the, the idea is sin being judged. And if anyone gets bit, they look to that snake and they will be healed. It's a foreshadow of you and I looking to the cross. And what, when sin was judged on the cross in our place. And that's how we find healing and restoration. So bronze is this idea of judgment. We don't like the idea of Jesus and judgment. But it's not to condemn them. It's to bring them to a place of repentance and healing. This intro is almost like when your mom would use your middle name growing up. Right? You know, Gordon Daniel Hall. That's like run. Run to your neighbor. Leave this house right now. Something bad's going to go down. So we've been looking at on Sunday mornings at the letters, we've been looking at two particular areas of the letter. One is the Lord's assessment and the Lord's admonishment. So what is this assessment? Number one is this. He commends them because they were making a difference in, in people's lives. They were making a difference in people's lives. He says, I know your works. They were a busy church doing a lot of good. They were known for their actions. What a great quality to be known for as a congregation in the city. They were known for their love. They loved people. In fact, this is the only church that actually was commended for their genuine love that they had for other people and for one another. They were known for their faith. So their actions and their love were motivated by their faith in Jesus Christ. 
They were known for their service. They met people's needs. And they were known for their patience, their steadfastness. They continued on in, in such a way that he says, and even your current works are greater than your latter. They weren't slowing down. You know what I mean? They weren't going like, oh man, we're so excited about this food drive. Or we're excited about taking care of the needs in our community. And then you sort of get burnt out on it. You know what I mean? You start out really strong and then you sort of, you know, it sort of trickles down in your life. Man, they were increasing their ability to communicate to that city, you know, who God was, and they loved them. He sees all their effort. I wonder if the Lord would say the same about the churches in our community. If the Lord would look up upon us and say, I know your works and your love and your faith and your service and your patience, and that you're not backing off, you're actually increasing those things. I'd imagine that there's a lot of friends you and I work with that may have a different perspective about the church uh, in Fresno and Clovis. And yet here they are commended. It's interesting, Ephesus that we read about uh, in the first letter, the letter that was given to them, they were right on doctrine. That they, they, they stood against false teaching that was creeping into the congregation. But the Lord actually rebuked them because they were losing their love for God and for each other. It became mechanical, if you would. It just became routine. They were good about saying, no, bad doctrine's coming in, and we're not going to tolerate this false teaching over here but they were sort of losing ground with their love for God. We need both, don't we? We need this, this ability to be like the church of Ephesus that was you know, pushing back about false teaching, but we need to be like the church in Thyatira where they had this genuine love that seemed to be going out to other people. The Bible says that you and I are to speak the truth, but to speak it in what? Love. We're supposed to be high on truth, and high on love at the same time. And that's what God would call this congregation and churches in general to be. Some churches are high on truth and they're low on love. Others are low on truth and high on love. But we find that it isn't genuine love when you and I withhold speaking truth. In the case of this tolerant church, there were destructive things that eventually we're going to erode the congregation and the lives of the, of the people that called on the name of the Lord in that church. I would imagine as they first heard this letter, it was like, man, this is looking good for us. Like the first minute maybe of your parent-teacher conference when you were a kid. Like, Mrs. Hall, Gordon has a lot of energy. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, keep going. And then the next 30 minutes, boy. And that energy is not harnessed well. <laughs> But Jesus is the one who searches the minds and the hearts. He knows all. And he's coming to correct them. Anytime you read God's word or the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you feel a conviction in your heart, it's never a condemning conviction. Satan is the condemner. Satan is the accuser of the followers of Christ. We read about that in the book of Revelation. God will always bring conviction that brings restoration and healing and, and oneness again with the Lord. Condemnation is not a part. In fact, the Bible says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the Lord brings conviction, it's because he's wanting to bring about correction because he loves them. So here we get to the criticism. His assessment is, you guys are doing great. I want to commend you for that. But here's a criticism. Your toleration of wicked teaching and behavior. And he calls out a particular woman. And he calls her Jezebel. This woman broke down the moral barriers that separate the church and the world. 
This was not her given name from childhood. No one would rightly name their daughter Jezebel, uh, knowing the history of a real woman named Jezebel that we read about in the Old Testament, right? You would never name your child Judas, right? Or, or Hitler, right? You'd never, like, hey, oh, wait, here I am, first day of kindergarten. Oh, yeah, I met a kid named Hitler. Hey, you know what? I think you should find some new friends. You know what I mean? There are some commentaries that believe that, that this real woman, we don't know her real name, but he identifies her as Jezebel, that it was actually the pastor's wife. That she was the one who was being used by the enemy to actually steer the congregation into destructive uh, beliefs and behavior. It says that she seduced the believers through her teaching and, and led them back into sexual immorality and idol worship that God had delivered this group of people from when they got saved. And she taught that it was okay. The Jezebel in the Old Testament, she was married to a man named Ahab. She was a wicked woman who led Israel away from God to the worship of Baal, the god of the Moabites. She influenced her husband in a negative way. She provoked, and he provoked God with his disobedience, and thus the nation's disobedience more than any other king in Israel's history. She had a man named Naboth put to death so that her crybaby husband, Ahab, could get this piece of land that he wanted that was right next to, to Naboth's land. You know, Ahab's like, hey, Naboth, listen, I, I know we're neighbors and I have property by your property. Listen, I'd like to give you some money because I want to take your property and I want to I build a vineyard. You know what I mean? That's what he was wanting to do. And Naboth correctly said, listen, God gave my ancestors this plot of land. You weren't supposed to go selling and distributing and all that kind of stuff. This is like your place of, you know, God put his family lineage there. And so he went back home and he was crying, you know, and, and Jezebel came in. And she's like, what's your problem? And he says, oh, you know, Naboth won't sell me his property. And so she's like, you know what, like dry up your tears, you big baby, I'll take care of it. She goes and stirs up some false accusations saying that he had cursed the God of Israel. And then she got some, you know, some, some, some thugs, if you would, to kind of go, yeah, yeah, we heard him curse. So they put him to death. And then she goes to Ahab and says, oh, now go get your land. Like that was kind of the, how many of you guys are, are moms of a, a, a son? Like you get a whiff of Jezebel coming over, right, for... A barbecue, yeah, no, 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 no. Right? Wicked. She had almost all the prophets of God in that time period put to death, and she sought to kill Elijah, the prophet, who himself was actually fearful that she would be successful. He prophesied that she would die a very gruesome death and that her body would be eaten up by dogs of the street roaming golden doodles chop 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 and she did it came to pass she's very wicked here this woman identified as jezebel she had the same spirit the same rebellious nature and similar influence she called herself a prophetess right but she was deceiving god's people and they tolerated that teaching there's a lot of people that have the title pastor or they'll call themselves apostles or prophets or whatnot. And, and it's, it's not the title that they have before their name or after the name. It's, the, it's the, 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 uh, the information that they proclaim. Are they proclaiming biblical Christianity? And if they're not, 
I don't care what they call themselves. They can call themselves Jesus Christ for all we care. Unless it's Jesus, right? Then we got to like, okay, it's the Lord. But you can name yourself anything. Oh, I'm a prophet. You should listen to me. Hey, he's a prophet. We should listen to him. As they proclaim things that are just like unbiblical. You know what I mean? You see people on TV and they call themselves this and that and all these titles around. And they proclaim things that are not found in scripture. That's where you and I say, hey, hold up. We're not going to tolerate this false teaching and infuse our lives with it because it eventually is going to bring destruction. Like the Nicolaitans that we read about that, that the church of Pergamon actually embraced, she urged sexual immorality and idolatry. God's word has a lot to say about sex. In fact, the Bible has a very high view of sex in God's word. That's why God's word calls believers to flee sexual immorality. The church in Corinth, they were like, you know what? We heard about you, Thyatira. We like to one-up you. You know what I mean? And so we read about what Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 5. He says this in verse 1 and 2. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Let's Take a time out there for a second. Like, you would just go like, okay, that's a little strange. Could we agree Thanksgiving feels a little awkward at that moment? And what we find is the church, according to Paul, he says, and you are so proud of yourselves. This understanding that they had this pride is like, we're so grace-oriented. We're so high on love that we're willing to sacrifice truth and biblical lifestyle in the name of, oh, it's all about grace. Here's what Paul says. But you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. We read that God, uh, that God inspired that church to, when he says remove them, is saying like, like, you know, let's just, I'll just use me an example. This is a horrible example, so I don't want to get in trouble with my wife. But it'd be like me being the pastor of the church and then me saying, you know what, I feel like that I'm going to cheat on my wife. And then I show up on a Sunday morning sitting front row with this new person, right? Oh, praise you, Lord Jesus. And I come up and teach the Bible. Does anyone feel like you should leave RVC at that time? Right. I'd already been shot by a sniper, right, <laughs> my wife, <laughs> if that were to take place. But do you, do you understand the... Does that make you feel gross? Like, and Tam, I'm just using that as an example. I'm just saying. You would just go like, what in the flip is going on at that church? Oh, they're just so high on grace, man. Like, have you, you know, we're all sinners. True. But there's a standard that God is calling you and I to rise up to, right? And so this church was, uh, in Thyatira, they were just embracing this teaching. Not everybody, but a lot were. You see, God delights in this gift, right, of, of, of sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. It's a gift to be experienced in the right context, and that is a marriage between a man and a woman. And anything beyond that is sin. Sexual immorality, we read about in the Bible, promiscuity, pornography, is destructive to one's life. We don't know all that Jezebel had included in the immorality, but we knew that those pagan rituals that were now being brought in with, uh, with the church uh, was actually the thing that God was saying, like, you tolerate 
that teaching and you're tolerating that behavior, you need to deal with it and repent. Sexual purity and integrity in the life of a believer is of utmost importance. Those who had embraced his teaching, they were called to repent. Even she was given ample opportunity to repent. And I'm so great, grateful that we read that in Scripture and throughout the Bible. Is that God gives you and I ample time to repent of our attitudes. Repent of our actions that are leading us away from God. It's amazing that God is so gracious. Yet but when we give in to sin including sexual sin, it's important to know that God desires us to see it, call it for what it is, and God wants to forgive us. And that's what he was willing to do, but she continued to stiff-arm God. The reason why God would call you and I to repent is not so we walk around mournful, shameful, is it so we walk around free. We would be in our, our lives would be in a position where we can experience all that God has for us. And when we walk away, whether it is sexual sin or any other sin that you and I allow to be something that becomes a lifestyle in our lives, it brings destruction. It brings death. And it moves us out of that place, not a place of sonship or daughtership, but a place of experiencing all that God has for you and I to experience. That's why God would call us to have that sort of that mindset of, God, search my heart. Is there anything within my own heart? That, is, that creates division between me and you, that creates pain in my relationship with you, or distraction in my relationship with you, he says to remove it from your life. Well, we read about her terrible judgment that's pronounced, right? And those who commit adultery with her. Now it's speaking of spiritual adultery, this idea of breaking this covenant relationship with God. Literally, he's saying when you worship idols like that, you put something else ahead of me in your life, and it becomes an idol, not of stone or wood or precious metal, but the ideology behind that idol. It says you commit spiritual adultery in your relationship with God. And he said, and I will strike her children dead. Like, that's that moment you're like, you know what? I don't think I want the Jezebel version of the Bible any longer. <laughs> God's like, and I'm going to strike her kids dead. Not her real kids, but speaking of those followers and those who would promote her teaching. Judgment is coming. He says, and all will know that I'm the one who searches the mind and the heart. You cannot hide from God. And God warns them, and he brings discipline. You think about the ways that they, to they tolerated this teaching. I can think of a few. One is they desired to fit in with the culture of the day. They wanted to sort of match up. Uh, well, this is what's going on with these pagans in our city. They all wanted to be a part of the trade guild, and so there was sort of like a, a way of life, and so they wanted to make sure they could business could continue on as usual. They didn't want to be persecuted, so they just said, let's tolerate this. Let's fit in with the culture. We see that today in our own lives, the fear of being called intolerant, right? So the church changes its views and begins to question biblical authority and have a desire to please the culture around rather than Jesus, who's the Savior of all of us. <clears throat> Maybe if we add some pagan stuff, it'll reach them. You know, they had sort of like a, the idea, we're going to have a worship and weed night. You know what I mean? Like, get everybody together, right? Some of you guys back in high school have been like, oh, I'd have been down going to that church. Destructive. The desire to fit in with culture of the day. They were afraid to call sin, sin. Again, for fear of being intolerant. God's word defines what sin is. 
My friends, you and I don't get to redefine what God in his word calls clearly sin. You get in trouble when you start to change things that his word clearly talks about. I'm not talking about gray areas. And, and that maybe that's where the problem lies is that churches in the past have been like, hey, you know what, it's a sin to go you know, to a movie theater. How many of you guys like, had grandparents that were told, like, oh, going to the movies is sinful? Until they come out with like a Christian movie, Ten Commandments. Well, only on this day you can go. You know what I mean? It's like the movie theater, they got red vines and popcorn. They have movies that are probably healthy and good to watch. They probably have some movies that are super destructive to watch. But the movie theater, the building, is not Satan going, come on in, kids, have some popcorn. And, right? You should never play cards until you get stuck you know, in a bus on a mission trip. And like, all right, let's sin, guys. Go fish. You know what I mean? It's like dancing. You know, dancing is sinful. Like, Tammy and I didn't have dancing at our wedding, our, our 30th, man. You're all invited. We're going to dance. We're going to dance to Christian Petra. We're going to listen to Christian worship, all worship. Everyone is a sinner. There are lots of sins the Bible talks about, but we don't get to change or redefine them because they might be taken, like, uh, they might not be taken well by society around us. By the way, Jesus came to die for all of our sins and to free us from them. We're called to repent from them and change direction. Here's another way they, they, they tolerated it. They wouldn't take a stand for truth. And when heresy came in, for fear of being unloving, they said, let's just let it slide. Well, it slid a very long way, didn't it? It's important that you and I would take a stand for truth in a congregation. It's not real love if it leaves out the truth. We're called to examine all teaching according to the word and judge it based on what we hear. They wouldn't call her out. They wouldn't say this is wrong. And as soon as, uh, as, soon as it found its way into the congregation, they caved in. That's how they tolerated it, right? They tolerated it to the destruction of many of their lives. The reason why Jesus brings discipline is to get them to a place of repentance. Now, despite the fact that this church in Thyatira uh, did it, uh, you know, had been a gigantic mess, there was a group in that church that actually didn't. And so here's the Lord's admonishment to them. He says, remain faithful to Jesus and his work until he returns. This is a group who had not given into her teaching nor been deceived, but remained faithful to the Lord. <clears throat> he says, you don't know the depths of Satan's right, uh, doctrine, Satan's teaching. The depths of Satan. Satan's always responsible for the, the deception and the, and, the, and the persecution that happens in a church. They didn't put away or they didn't put up with the heresy. Jesus' message is, hey, don't stop doing the good you're doing. Whatever you have, hang on to it until I return. Your walk with me. Keep walking with me, right? Your effort to serve others. Keep serving others. Your patient endurance. Stay faithful. Remain faithful until I return. He's like, I'm not going to put any other heavy trip on you. You're already making good decisions. Stay the course. Don't give up ground that you've attained in the name of the Lord. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Hold fast. And his reference to his return is the fact that Jesus Christ promised that one day he'll return for his bride, his church. The rapture we read about in scripture. Paul tells Titus in Titus 2, Verse 11 through 14, he says, For the grace of God has been revealed. When Christ came, when he died on the cross, the gospel was proclaimed. Grace of God was being revealed to humanity. 
bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of, the great, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. <clears throat> what a great passage saying, God's grace has appeared and brought salvation to everyone who's believed. It teaches us that we're supposed to continue to move towards Christ-likeness. We're not supposed to have this, you know, like, it's okay, God doesn't care how you live. No, God's word is very clear. Continue to pursue holiness. Continue to start, you know, to continue to actually remove things that dishonor the Lord. The way you talk, the way you think, how you act, what you meditate on in your heart. We're called to the, that. And he says, while we wait for the blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a game changer for you and I in how you and I think about our lives. As a new Christian, I remember 1988 was the year I got saved. There was a lot of discussion about Jesus returning in 1988. There was a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. It's a free copy now you can get on Amazon, right? And everyone's freaking out, you know what I mean? One thing it does, though, when you think about that is you go like, man... I remember asking somebody that said, like, so should I not go to college? Because that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome thought. You might have noticed I'm not a great, I wasn't like a school guy. I did go to college, though, just so you know. I was on the four-year cycle at City College, and then I continued that same pattern. I totally lost myself there, <laughs> staring at Michael in the back there. Michael, help me out. Whatever. Oh, I know what it is. Somebody told me, listen, plan your life as if he's not coming back at all, but live your life as if he's coming tomorrow. Wouldn't that be a game changer for us? That's why Paul told Titus that. There's a lot of distractions, right? We'll face discouragement, but in the end, he'll come with his reward. He says that they will rule and reign with him. <clears throat> a reference to Psalm 2. When, when we read in Psalm 2 that, that the father would give the son because of his willingness to go be a sacrifice, he would rule and reign the nations. And Jesus says, you and I get to rule and reign with him as kings and priests we read about in the, in the book of Revelation. That in the millennial kingdom, so Jesus raptures the church, seven years of tribulation happen on earth. Christ returns and destroys the enemies of Israel. They believe and the church is established in the kingdom of God is established for a thousand year reign of Christ and you and I rule and reign with him it means you have a job you're not some like you know precious moments fat little baby with wings playing a harp in heaven you and I have roles and jobs and ways to glorify God and interact with the kingdom of God it's encouragement as life on earth gets tough Keep strong, this is not the end. One day you'll arrive in his glorious kingdom and trials will all be worth it. You're on the winning team, essentially, is what he told these guys. And he says, and I will give him the morning star, the overcomers. Revelation 22, 16 says, Jesus is the bright and morning star. You and I get the, isn't this, isn't this beautiful that you, he describes that you get to possess the morning star. You get to have this ownership of, of this relationship with Jesus Christ. Of course he owns us, but what a great 
like switched to thought that, man, I'm his and he is mine. You know the great thing about being saved? Well, avoiding hell is one. Would you say an amen to that? That's a great, hey, why should I get saved? So you don't spend eternity in hell separated from God, which your sins and my sins deserve. Okay, you got me there. You know the greatest thing about being saved is you get to possess God. You get to know God and grow close as you want to him throughout your journey here on earth and then forever in heaven. This oneness, this fellowship, this closeness where there's no more struggle in that relationship, distractions and sin and trials and whatnot. What a great promise to the overcomers. You get Jesus for all eternity to possess him. I am his, he is mine forever in his kingdom. That mentality, living for him till he returns, it sets perspectives right in our lives, right? Stuff means very little with that kind of mindset. Souls mean everything with that kind of mindset. Friends, loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ today, who cares what their title is at the end of their, well, my child didn't become this, blah, 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 blah. Do they know Christ? Are they pursuing him? Man, you already won. I mean, you already won. The name Thyatira means sacrifice or sacrificial offering. They were willing to sacrifice a genuine faith in God on the altar of tolerance. What about us? What are little things that you are maybe small and insignificant? It could be actions on your part. It could be doctrine, things that you're believing like, oh, I used to believe this and I'm wondering how it mesh with Christianity. You're allowing these things to be tolerated in your life. Maybe even they border on sinful. You're not paying attention. One quote I read this week by a pastor, he said, we can keep tolerating sin, but one day its destructive effects will take hold of us. Like carcinogenic toxins, sin will slowly kill us one day at a time, one bad decision after another. This morning, as God gave ample time to, to Jezebel, you and I get this, <clears throat> this, this age of grace, the Spirit of the Lord knocks on the door of your heart. Hey, there's an area of your life you're slipping up. Confess it to Him today. Choose to repent today. God, I'm going to turn from that. Yeah, it's a little minor right now, but eventually it will erode the most important, valuable thing that you have, that walk with God. Confess it to him. My prayer is that we as a church will stand for truth. We will keep his word to the end like this church did, the group of people in Thyatira, and be the church that is known for speaking truth, but speaking truth in love. As our team's going to come, they're going to lead us in worship, man. I want to I encourage you this morning to take some moments and do some soul searching. Lord, what's, what are some of the things I'm tolerating? Like the church last week, some compromise in my life. And you confess it. You deal with you this morning. I, we can all think of 100 people who should be listening to this message right now, but the Lord has you here right now. Say, God, what is it in my life? What's an area of my life that I need to repent over and turn from today? Maybe you need some prayer this morning. We've got folks on both sides of the room every single Sunday that would love to pray with you and for you. Maybe there's something happening in your world. Maybe there's a new job opportunity. Maybe there's a, a crisis going on in your life or your family. 
Or maybe there's an area of your life that you're wanting God to get a hold of. Man, go and, go and receive some prayer during the time of worship, but also at the end of the service, people will still be around. Or maybe today you need to surrender to God. Maybe today, I don't know everybody here this morning. I get it, we're a smaller crowd this morning, but maybe today's a day where you're supposed to surrender to God and receive His forgiveness, begin a relationship with Him. You know, the gospel message, the, the grace of God has appeared to all humanity, bringing salvation to all who would believe. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but they would have eternal life. How is a person saved? They recognize they're a sinner. They choose to tell God, God, I want to repent of my sins. I want to change my mind about them. And they believe. And that belief is they receive Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And every single person, God desires that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of, of his truth. Maybe that's you this morning. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for, God, these challenging letters, Lord, that, um, Lord, every single week, God, we just, we see that, Lord, you do have the eyes, the flames of fire, Lord. You, you want to purge the wickedness and evil with our own hearts and lives, God, as we open your word and you search our own hearts, God, the searchlight, the lamp of the word of God, Lord, it searches our hearts. And God has done that today. And I pray that this morning, each one of us would do some repenting, God, of things we tolerated, God. It might be attitudes of this world and life, grudges that we might hold, bitterness that we might hold. Lord, it might be materialistic views of this life, thinking that, God, the more we get, the more happy we will be. Couldn't be further from the truth. Lord, it might be looking at another person Lord, with a judgmental attitude, God, or thinking that we're better because of the color of our skin or where we, where we land in society. For all these attitudes, God, there's millions of them that we face. You call us to repent over. So, Lord, we choose to do that this morning. Search our hearts.